Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Dr. Frank, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Thank you very much for having me. My name is Barbara Franke. I'm a professor of molecular psychiatry at Radboud University Medical Center uh, in Nijmegen in the Netherlands and also at the Donders Institute in Nijmegen. Um, I'm a biologist by training and very interested in ADHD since, I think, 2004. Well, that's all. I about to say it got wide acceptance. I feel like in the past eight years, 10 years, it started becoming more normalized. And maybe that's just my opinion because I'm looking through research studies. I'm seeing things from like eight years, 12 years. I've seen prior ones before dated back a little bit earlier, but it seems like from a lot of researchers I talked to, it became more accepted in society eight, 10 years ago. So how'd you come across ADHD and how'd you get interested in learning more about it? Well, actually, it, it's, it was quite a coincidence, actually. Um, a colleague of mine and mentor of mine, uh, Professor Jan Bautela, came to Nijmegen. Uh, he switched universities, came to Nijmegen. And uh, my boss in human genetics department thought that uh, we would be a good fit together uh, in terms of collaborating. Um, because Jan Bartela also wanted to to look into genetics, and this is where my uh, primary uh, expertise lies. And we started collaborating, and I found the the work in ADHD very stimulating, and a lot of things indeed that needed addressing. Um, so I stayed st stayed with it since. Now, was it as widely accepted? I mean, obviously now it's different, but I mean back then, I mean, did you? look into it like it's what is adhd is it a real thing is it something like that like did you have that kind of stigma that a lot of people have towards it or were you just like yeah it's real i mean how hard is it to get people to look at studies about adhd probably back then it wasn't so easy yeah well i think um by then acceptance was definitely there for for childhood adhd uh but i remember a grant um that I got reviewed where where the reviewer was saying that was one on ADHD in adults and the reviewer was just saying well what is she what is she analyzing because ADHD in adults doesn't exist so ADHD in, in adulthood is is definitely something that at that time wasn't accepted and still is is uh not known by many adults that you can actually have ADHD also as an adult was oh, ADHD, if you look I about say was ADHD something that they knew was a genetic factor like people were born with ADHD or was did they think it was like a trauma induced um cuz it does show up in our genetics i'm pretty sure it it is uh, it has high heritability but it's not like uh you're necessarily born with it huh? it's it's a combination of genetic factors genetic liabilities <clears throat> and uh, environmental factors that, that in many people come together and then, uh, yeah, cause ADHD. What are some environmental factors? Um, uh, complications during birth, um, prior to birth, uh, low birth weight, early uh, uh, pre-born children, uh, also problems in the family can can um make ADHD worse, for example. There's there is a lot that we are still um trying to explain also in terms of the environmental factors for ADHD, but those are some. 
Now, is it like comparable? Like if you took someone who doesn't have ADHD and someone who has ADHD, is there like when it comes to their bio biology, I mean, is there a, a distinct difference that you can point out now? I'm sure with technology now, there's something that could probably pick it up. I'm, I don't know if I'm speaking out of term here. Um, Not really. So we, we, we cannot, if like what you're essentially asking is, can I get a diagnosis uh, based on biological factors? And that's not the case. So if we compare uh, thousands of people with ADHD to thousands of people without ADHD based on their genetic factors, we do see differences. Um, but they are so small that in an individual, they don't have any meaning. So it's, it's, it's not like we're going to use it, uh, or yet at least we're going to use it in, in, in diagnostics. But we're we're seeing some differences, and that gives us some ideas about the biology that uh, plays a role in ADHD. Now, you mentioned before about adults with ADHD that wasn't really known before that if adults had ADHD. Why why is it accepted with kids, but it wasn't accepted with adults? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, kids, and especially if you look at the at what is generally thought as being ADHD and people that are or kids that are hyperactive running around, et cetera, that you don't see adults doing that. Um, so um, I guess the presentation in adults is different. And in that it wasn't really known or really accepted that there was ADHD also in the, in the adults, but then with a little bit different uh, difference in the symptoms. Now, when we talk about, um, adult ADHD, like masking would be a good example of people like hard to diagnose for ADHD, but like, does it manifest differently? Like, let's say if I have hyperactivity as a kid and I was super hyper all the time, if that hyperactivity ever goes away, I mean, can you look at it like that with certain, I wouldn't say genetic factors, but there's different subtypes of ADHD. Some people experience think, things that I never experienced. And I'm wondering if that continues into adulthood or do they pick up something else? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not a clinician. Let's let's uh, let me say that um, what I I would see, say here is first of all that indeed there is a lot of differences between uh, people with ADHD and in, in how um, how their uh, ADHD expresses itself, uh, and there's also differences in um, in children and adults. And children really run around. In adults, the hyperactivity uh, the the um the the the, the uh, lack of rest is really more in their head than it is in in uh, exp or expressing itself in motor activity i would say so people are saying i i can't get my head to rest i i'm it's always uh, I'm Constantly always moving. thinking, um, yeah, you can probably say it much better than I can. What's what's really happening in your in your head? Now, is there with technology that we have today, is there a way to be able to diagnose before a kid's born if they have a gen there's no way to do that? But it's just are we just going off the basis that if a parent has ADHD, like my one of my family, I think it's my dad that has ADHD. So then it's heredity just gets passed down to me. Is that 100 percent like a guarantee? So it's not. No, 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 no. People that have parents with ADHD or or a brother or a sister have an increased risk of of getting ADHD. Yeah? Uh, but it's not. It's definitely not one hundred percent because it's not only one gene. It's a 
a combination of many, many genetic factors uh, that come together. And if your, your parent has many of those factors, it's more likely that a certain number of them will also be inherited by you. And that gives you a, bit, a bigger risk of having ADHD. And that doesn't mean the same ADHD symptoms. Like my parent could have different ADHD symptoms than I do. Is there an explanation of why there would be it manifests in a different way? I mean, besides like, it's not just environmental factors, is it? Well, we don't, we don't really know yet. Um, it can just be a little bit different in, in how your brain is wired that uh, causes differences. Um, the combination of environmental factors, the combination of genetic factors that you carry compared to your, your parent, that will probably be the, the the reason for differences in your presentation. Yeah, in your symptoms. And what, through your work, what characteristics do you see with ADHD? I guess, what impacts them the most? Like what problems do you see that would impact them most with someone with ADHD? Well, uh, we're looking at, um, so again, I'm a biologist and a molecular biologist by training. So I'm, um, in terms of the symptoms, uh, I have to resort to literature and and the experience that I have with with some some people. Um, what is important is that people with ADHD have well problems more often in in many different aspects of life, and that is related to health, uh, more uh, co-occurring disorders, uh, conditions. Um, not only in terms of mental conditions, but also when you look at at uh, cardiometabolic, so obesity, type 2 diabetes, um, cardiovascular diseases are more frequent in ADHD than in, in people without ADHD. And now we also know that even uh, old age diseases like, like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease are, are more frequent in people with ADHD. So that is, an, in terms of the health-related uh, issues, there is already quite some some stuff. Um, then in terms of, of social interactions, we know that people with ADHD have more difficulties in, in um, retaining friendships for a long time, in, uh, in having uh, successful marriages. Um, these are things that, that are important there. And if you look at... Um, at work and school, uh, we see more school drops dropouts, um, and we see also more problems in 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 retaining a job. Is there research on why that those cardiovascular diseases is more prevalent, and also obesity is more prevalent? Yeah, we we um, we know that there is a genetic component, and we have done research there, and we find that. Uh, the genetic uh, component may be just due to behavior so that people with ADHD have uh, more difficulty, for example, in eating healthy, uh, eating not too much. And there's impulsive eating in people with ADHD, which causes uh, uh, overweight, for example, that is more frequent. And then through overweight, you may come to uh, cardiometabolic um, uh, problems cardiovascular diseases, uh, type 2 diabetes, for example. So it may be just um, a behavioral component here that uh, that causes this additional risk. Like the seeking of dopamine, I mean, you can probably get that 
that type of rush or that type of stimulant from eating or, I mean, that's where addiction comes in as well too. I mean, drugs and all that comes in. It's that stimulating factor that people with ADHD tend to be seeking out. Yeah. Yeah. That could be very well uh, the case that it is through, yeah, what we know um, in terms of differences in the reward uh, system uh, in the brain, that this is indeed one of the factors that contributes. Now, is there any way to do an intervention when it comes to some of those things that lead to cardiovascular disease or any of those types of things? Besides, like I know task initiation could be things for like people dealing with memory. But if you're talking about something that's like cardiovascular disease or obesity, I mean, it's I can't tell people what to eat besides giving them a diet plan. But I'm wondering if there's something in there that either falls more of like, the, I'm not going to say pharmacological side, but something that goes in there that can help out with some people's interactions who necessarily can't do it themselves. Well, I think I think here um, the the psychological uh, support is quite important. Huh? You you can um, people can be uh, taught to be less impulsive, to react to less impulsive, to be more structured in their eating, for example. And I think that is a, a very good one. We have worked, for example, in uh, uh, in one of the the research projects with. Um, making recipes for people that are easy to follow, that don't take too much time, um, giving, uh, uh, presenting them with um, the ingredients that they have to get from the supermarket, et cetera, et cetera, in an, in an online version, so that it is easy to, uh, to try to be more structured in your eating. Now, I know it, we, that, that's more of the physical side of things, but when it comes to the cognitive decline, I mean, do you notice a certain thing with ADHD compared to someone with non-ADHD where their mental capacity or anything of that sort starts to degrade maybe slower or faster than someone who doesn't have ADHD? This is a, a field that is now starting to, to be developed um, because we now know that there is adult ADHD and that even... Uh, people at old age can still have ADHD. We also are looking now more into old age uh, uh, consequences of having ADHD. And indeed this risk of cognitive decline, risk of Alzheimer's disease, risk of Parkinson's disease are bigger in, in people with ADHD. Uh, where that is coming from, we, we don't yet really know. It could be it could be uh, something that is related to to what I just said. Uh, cardiovascular problems also go along with uh, with cognitive decline. It's also a risk factor for for um, Alzheimer's disease. So you may, through this route, uh, also go towards uh, more cognitive decline in in ADHD. But we don't really know yet the the exact causes of of why this is happening. It's been something that's been said to me through a couple experts I've talked to, which is about the difference between the ADHD brain and the non-ADHD brain. When it makes me seem like I'm a whole separate species when they start really explaining it down there. I mean, is it that distinct of a difference or if it's just the way our brains are just set up a little bit different, like certain areas that grow or certain areas that don't grow? Yeah, so there is no no real difference between people with ADHD right, and non people <laughs> and people with without ADHD in terms of their brain. We see again uh, this is large uh, large scale studies where we put uh, thousands of people uh, with ADHD and without ADHD into scanners into the uh, magnetic resonance imaging, 
um, and then look at, at certain parts of the brain and we see differences. Um, and that uh, these differences are particularly there in children. So what it looks like is that the, the brain in ADHD matures a little bit different. And perhaps a little bit later, we don't know that yet, and it may be uh, different, uh, a difference between different brain regions as well. Um, but it looks like it's there. There are some differences, but it's still it's not a big difference. And if you compare a person with a certain size um, of uh, uh, of a brain region uh, with another one, then it's not like like yeah, there can be people with ADHD and without ADHD having exactly the same size of a certain brain regions. So it's it's definitely also not something that we can use in diagnostics because it's just uh, the very, very small difference. They've, they've mentioned the maturity. I know they said the average mature age of the brain is like 25 or something like that. But then when it comes to ADHD, it's like your 30s, which, I mean, explains a lot about my immaturity. But <laughs> I was, to me, I was wondering if there's actually any evidence to support that besides, I mean, seen, seen some papers on it, but I haven't really seen like a whole, like some people either say it's like a controversial thing if it's 30, early 30s or it's mid 30s. Yeah, and and also here, so there the 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 brain matures uh, in stages, uh, and and there's a lot of of uh, parts of the brain, especially the the older parts of the brain um, and the inner parts of the brain that mature quite early. So you're thinking about uh, uh, eight, ten years of age already that these uh, regions are mature. Um, those are, for example, the regions that harbor the the uh, the reward system, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then you have the uh, regions like the prefrontal cortex, uh, this part, which is really a control uh, area of the brain. And that one is in all people, the last to mature. Um, and that one is in the, indeed in the, in the twenties somewhere that it really matures. And after that, it goes, uh, goes down again. <laughs> So we're at our best on in in the twenties, thirties, um, and after that we're declining in terms of our brain health again. <laughs> now, some of your research on adult ADHD. What are some areas that you guys do have good, solid re research on when it comes to adult ADHD? And when did that start being open to the having the conversation about adult ADHD? Was that eight, ten years ago when they started accepting it more, or was it? I would have to think they always focused on kids for the longest time. Yeah, they have, they have, and there's still a, a big lack of uh, of studies in in adults with ADHD. And I saw that one of your um, uh, blogs was about um, uh, was with uh, Steve Ferron. And Steve Ferron is is one of the the pioneers in this field of of adult ADHD, and he was able to show that there is a continuity of behavior from childhood to adulthood, which really showed that there is uh, adult ADHD, which you see in people that also have childhood ADHD. So that was a very important factor uh, in accepting uh, adults ha also having ADHD. Um, but it is something that is still not really very well known in the general population. And many of the adults with ADHD still get their diagnosis because their child is being diagnosed with ADHD and they think, wait a minute, this is what I've had all my life, and that is when when uh, when uh, they also go to the to be diagnosed and and get the diagnosis of ADHD. 
there is still a lot of lack and if you're asking what is the what is really the 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 area that we have best evidence well we know that it's also very heritable um so it's not only the heritability in childhood adhd but also in in adults with adhd we know that the 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 genetics of adult adhd is a little bit different from the the genetics of childhood adhd so apparently other genes in the adult brain are also important uh, for keeping the the ADHD also in in adult age. So the genetics change along the way, like did the ADHD genetics just adapt and affect? I guess is that because the brain develops later, or is there another factor that comes into play? Well, it 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 is probably because the brain develops, huh? um, and and the um, the genetic factors are important in what the cells are doing in the brain. Um, and the cells are doing something different once the, the brain is really mature than they were doing when the brain was still maturing. So uh, the the expression, the, the, the type of genes that is expressed in the brain um, and is active in the brain is different in childhood than it is in adulthood. And that probably explains why uh, certain genes are no longer important Um uh, in adults uh, for ADHD and other genes come in and are important for for um, adult ADHD than childhood ADHD. Do you trust the diagnosis and assessment for ADHD? It seems like I'm coming across a lot of people that have ADHD or have been diagnosed with ADHD. See, I'm seeing it more prevalent than what I guess when I was a kid. And I didn't know if the tools or the equipment was getting better or we're having better ways of doing it or if there's just certain things that are getting lumped in. Uh, if the uh, diagnosis is done in a structured way like it's supposed to do, I, as supposed to be, I, I have trust in, in the diagnosis of ADHD, definitely. Um, uh, that The fact that it seems to be coming more and more um, is because it's getting more known. Uh, we, we still see that in many countries, adult ADHD is underdiagnosed. Uh, we see that that um, girls with ADHD are still underdiagnosed because they behave differently than the prototype, you could say, of or stereotype uh, of ADHD, which is which is based on uh, a young boy uh, running around and and having a very typical uh, presentation of ADHD. Now, is there a genetic factor of why women display ADHD differently than men? We haven't found any indications for that yet, at least. It's interesting because I've always heard it's, it's a little bit more emotional. Like I have a friend who's a girl who has ADHD and she, her, a lot of her emotional stuff. I think it, but I just don't have like the the severity, I guess, that she has. Maybe it's just my ADHD is a little bit different. But she, she mentioned about like, I have to do work six days a week and I could still barely afford this in some days. And then she says something, I go, that's exactly how my brain works, except I don't voice that because then you get looked at like you're crazy. So, I, I mean, to me, I just, it, it's different because when you're trying to really understand ADHD, you look at what all the varying subtypes are. And then you're wondering how these all develop in so many different ways. I mean, I have more of the compulsivity and the hyperactivity where a friend of mine has more of like the anxiety that kind of rolls with it and a bunch of other factors when it comes to like not listening at all. So it, to me, I'm like, I, if that's an environmental thing, if that's just how we grow up, but then also how does trauma affect that as well, too? I mean, I'm sorry, the last one I didn't catch. 
or tra- I said trauma, how does trauma affect that as well too? There's a lot of factors that go into what can affect the person's personality, obviously, and the way they go through life. But to me, trying to understand, like, I think it's di- diagnosing it and then assessing it, but also being able to point out that it does exist because for the longest time, people just didn't believe it. I mean, what do you think the future for ADHD is? I mean, better tools, better technology, better assessment. All of those. But I think uh, what is important is is really that we're trying to uh, go more into a more balanced view on ADHD. Yeah? Um, what is what is more and more important is that we're not only looking at deficits. Um, and and yeah, you for example, you're you're very uh, successful in what you're doing, yeah? and, and <laughs> probably the 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 AD, your ADHD gives you an edge in this and gives you an advantage in in this niche that you're in, and this is I think one of the most important things that will change, that we're looking more into what can people with ADHD do, uh, where is where do strengths lie, where do protective factors lie, how can we um, also sort of engineer the environment. Uh, for people with ADHD to develop in a better way, to develop along their strength and be less bothered by the uh, the deficits that come along with ADHD. Well, that's a societal change, isn't it? That's a societal change, yeah. But I think we're, we're at this point where we see clearly that uh, the school system as it is now is absolutely not uh, conducive to giving people with ADHD and and for that uh, for the same goes for the same with uh, uh, for children with well boys let's let's say boys huh? uh, sitting still for hours and hours is not conducive to uh, to learning in in people who are who want to move <laughs> uh, so. I think we're learning more and more that we have to change things and that things can go better if we're using a different approach and that people don't have to be scarred by their early environment uh, so much that they uh, that they uh, lose self-esteem and are not able to, to be the best person that they can be. I mean, are you optimistic that society will change in those factors for people? With, I'm not so optimistic. I mean, I, I have every reason to hate the education system for what I went through, but I've seen some articles of what they've done, like we're talking about yoga or something of that sort of looking at nutrition, which I think are great starts. I just don't think it's getting implemented at the point of where it probably should be implemented. Maybe I just have high expectations for where we're at today in society for what they should be implementing in there. Yeah, it's 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 early days with that. Huh? So, but it's, I think we're we're um, uh, through working very closely with people who have ADHD. So bringing researchers and people with ADHD together, uh, bringing uh, clinicians together, bring, bringing the policymakers into the the mix as well. Early on, uh, in research, will help us to also get the things better implemented that we find in research. And and I think that is a um, well. I know that this is an uh, a way that we are currently approaching things, doing more in co-design, doing more in co-creation, with uh, a number of different stakeholders that gives really better implementation possibilities. Now, for technology, do you think that technology would also assist people with ADHD? Because 
I, with um Jeff Copper, he was describing how difficult it is now that everything's becoming online. So you kind of get sucked into a trap. If you have ADHD, you could tend to go down the wrong thing because you're trying to focus on one thing and you can't because there's a million things on your screen. And I, I think a lot of people experienced that during the pandemic when they do online learning or online work or something of that sort, where, I mean, how do we equip technology to do for the benefit of the ADHD mind? Because there are a lot of things that distract me. I'll go, I'll be on the internet for four hours and not remember what I did on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, and uh, and I don't know whether your ADHD has anything to do with that because I hear a lot of that <laughs> from many people. So it's, it's um, of course, that's a, a danger, um, but there's also the possibility to have apps um, that that help you structure your day, um, that, that remind you when things um, go wrong, when you're too late going to bed, uh, things like that. Huh? So, so in that way, technology can really help the people with ADHD. And I think also we're working towards um, more objective measures of uh, to support diagnosis and also to support um, uh, monitoring of people with ADHD so that we can, in a more tailored way, actually help the person structure their life um get not get stuck into in their their impairments so much how do you currently monitor people with adhd well you this is early days uh so we're not yet doing that but there's a lot of possibilities think about wearables think about yeah. uh, uh, what is it called ecological momentary assessment so that People can uh, ask you questions, shoot a question to your smartphone, uh, I don't know, a number of times a day, asking about your mood, asking about what you're at that moment doing in terms of uh, are you distracted, are you uh, focusing on on a certain task, for example. Um, there are ways to assess impulsivity. So it, I think it's, it can work. Um, there are ways to measure sleep. So we can we can go towards a su more supported uh, diagnostic tools, a more supported monitoring of people. And know. sometimes it seems it's it it sounds a little bit like uh, Big Brother is watching you. So that is the other the other thing. So where does it become um, uh, a burden to to be followed in that way? And that I think is is something that everybody has to decide for themselves if they want that but it help it it can help yeah but i mean people have to sign consents before they use those devices so that's an agreement right there for them to use it but i think it's important if you're talking about memory issues because a lot of people are experiencing huge memory issues when it comes to adhd i get it a little bit like i'm pretty good i have everything task oriented and set out kind of as a planning list but I, memory is a big one. And then when it comes to sleep as well, too, I don't think people really look at exa or examine um, ADHD and sleep so or understand ADHD and sleep so thoroughly because it is a big problem. There's a large percentage of people that experience sleep issues with ADHD. And I have no why. I probably sleep three hours a night, but I'm still kind of functional. <laughs> three hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good three hours, though. For some reason, I hit that deep cycle. I don't know what it is, but it feels like I could, it feels like I've been asleep for ten years. But I wake up; it's only been like three hours. I have no idea why, but I feel rested and everything. It's probably going to affect me later in life. I could tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it is an active uh, uh, um, area of research, and and people get very interested. And it's a little bit of a of a of a spiral. 
people with ADHD um, tend to uh, be evening persons, um, I hear, and, and tend to do a lot of computer tasks, et cetera, in the evening, which keeps them awake. So their 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 cycle, uh, their their rhythm goes later and later. And if you have to get up early uh, to go to work, that's becoming a problem. Then so there is a lot of issues there. Also, insomnia is a is an issue in ADHD, um, and we don't really understand yet why that is. Uh, um, it's it's probably something to do with balance of certain. Um, mechanisms in the brain and and uh, we know that it is uh, partly genetic and partly heritable to have uh, uh, sleeping problems and the two hang together adhd and and sleeping problems genetically as well have you ever been to one of the adhd conferences yes uh, now when i'm not going to ask you to explain your experience but when you go there and they're talking about research i mean does that, that that's well probably some of your optimism gets boosted in there as well too and a lot of these people are breaking it down or do you i've had some people give negative reviews on some of the conferences just because it's neurotypicals that are technically examining data i trust someone who has adhd that's studying adhd because there's like the experience side which you necessarily don't get if you don't have adhd but also i'm appreciative as hell to the people that are researching it that don't have it because we need that too mm, yeah and and the combination is what makes it stronger and that is what what i was mentioning with the the collaboration between people with adhd and uh, and researchers for example so the the organizations for people with adhd are now very closely working with us to for us to write to to ask the right questions um for uh, doing things that are relevant uh, for people with ADHD, uh, so that that really helps. Uh, the analysis is is helped by people with ADHD. So we're we're I'm very happy with this uh, very close contact, and I have very good experiences in in that. Now, besides society changing to make it a little bit easier for people with ADHD, is there any other factors that you've noticed through your experience that could be changed? Well, I think the diagnosis, if you look at psychiatry in general, then this is really the last uh, uh, specialty in medicine where we don't have any markers uh, other than, than diagnostic interviews and questionnaires. So I think that is a, a an area that will change. And uh, my group is also uh, working on that, trying to see how we can build in biological knowledge into uh, into diagnosis and and treatments, uh, can we make the treatment more tailored to the to the individual person? Does it have to be uh, medication for everyone? Are there people who are better or equally well off with uh, with a change in diet? Uh, are there people that can be helped through, through um, uh, better monitoring of sleep, um, et cetera, et cetera? So. What is what is it that everybody needs um, can be improved, I think, and in general the understanding, so that we're uh, treating ADHD uh, based on um, on really the mechanisms that are underlying ADHD and knowledge where we where we can interfere. Do you like the word ADHD? I've seen a lot of people, researchers that have a problem with the word because it's not an attention deficit. It's not 
this joint. It's it's deficit and disorder oriented. Yeah. 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 So I I use it as ADHD, not so much thinking about what it stands for. Um, It's just a a way of uh, character or of of mentioning um, an entity. But I'm open to every other uh, possibility of of giving it a better name. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people that were in support of giving a new name because there's a heavy stigma that comes behind the word ADHD. I mean, I've had people on the show that tell me it doesn't exist. And I'm just like, okay, guy. Like you're listening, to, but but that's someone else's experience. I can't just sit there and try and change. You're not going to be able to change anybody's experience. But I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that there is something different going on with certain people. I think that comes with also more people speaking out about having ADHD and advocacy and also research like yourself that you have. But is there one area that you've throughout your career in this where you haven't had enough data to support a conclusion on a certain thing about ADHD it doesn't necessarily have to be something we've already discussed, but something that it just the research, whether the sample was too small, whether it was just something that couldn't be couldn't be reported again. Mm. Well, it's it we've come a long way in the last what is it ten years? I think as you're saying in terms of the biology, and we've been doing genetic studies for more than thirty years in ADHD as a field. Uh, but the first 20 years um, have essentially not resulted in anything that's that's uh, that's reproducible. Let's say it like that, because we we have the. If you look at the genome, it's very complex. There's a lot of genetic variation uh, between people, um, and what we did in the first 20 years of genetic research was to make. To, to make hypotheses about single genetic variants to be involved in ADHD and testing it in 100 people versus 100 people, 100 people with ADHD, 100 people without ADHD. And it turned out that uh, many of those factors were not found in, uh, once they had been discovered once, they were not found again in, in a second study. So it's uh, in the last 10 years, we have learned how to do genetic studies. We have been able to uh, put together, put aside the egos of the researchers and uh, make them work together, bring all their data together in, in large uh, studies. And now we're working with, with data sets of, what is it? The last one was, I think, 46,000 uh, people with ADHD and nearly 200,000 without ADHD. So we have a lot of data now. And the next one will be that we're working on the next study, genetic study will be 150,000 people with ADHD and over a million people Holy without crap. ADHD. So yeah, it's it's that is definitely a different, uh, different piece of cake and a different <laughs> experience. <laughs> that sample size is huge. I'm surprised that many people stepped forward about it. I mean, that shows that the stigma is kind of dying down a little bit. But yeah, but also, but also that. Uh, researchers are more more working together. So everybody is putting the data that he he or she has into this one study to really give us the power to uh, to find these genetic factors. 
Why was there such a refusal to do that before? You mentioned the ego thing, which I've come across ivory tower syndrome, I think it is, between some academics and stuff like that. But I've noticed through the ones I've talked to, there's varying different opinions. Like this is a controversial one. This is a controversial area of ADHD. But I, I don't know. To me, it just seems like, I mean, all perspectives in this matter is kind of a helping hand, not necessarily anybody who's necessarily 100% over the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you're right. I'm, I'm saying egos... Uh, you can also say, well, we, we, all of us depend on, on funding, um, uh, from the taxpayer, uh, NIH is in, in the U S is giving a lot of, of funding. The EU is giving funding that different councils in different countries give funding for research. Uh, but there is much more research to be done than there is funding for it. So, uh, people have been competing uh, for funding. And that for a very long time has made that uh, that that researchers tended to keep a lid on what they were researching for others not to scoop them, not to be earlier, not to publish earlier, um, and to have enough uniqueness to be competitive in obtaining funding. And this sentiment has changed. So, and also the funding agencies now reward team science much more than they did before. So, it, there is a change in the in the atmosphere in the in how science works. We've we've gone from individual researcher based science uh, to to team science, and that's a very very good uh, place to be. So, I I love really doing research on ADHD in the current time. Now, not just with researchers, but with also care physicians, do you see that there's a lot of people changing their mind or more than willing to look at ADHD where before that they're not really like, I've noticed that too. Like even my doctor's like, you ever get tested for ADHD? I was like, yeah, it was like, if you check on my chart, I don't know how far back it goes, but I was diagnosed with it as a kid. Um, I've just seen that whether it's the younger care physicians that are coming in or the younger generation of people that are coming in. I don't know if it's the older generation starting to change their mind a little bit about things, but I think it's definitely, I don't know from your perspective, if you think it's probably a mixture of it's multifactorial there. Yeah, yeah, it, and 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 a lot is based on on more knowledge, and uh, the the younger um, clinicians they uh, are being taught about ADHD in childhood, ADHD in adulthood, so they know that they can look for it and how to look for it. Eh? Uh, so that is definitely changing. And but I still we're now running a course on uh, on ADHD um, for clinicians from many different European countries. And you see still a lot of differences between countries and an acceptance and treatment of uh, ADHD in different countries. Uh, in many Eastern European countries, very hard and, and Southern Europe, some of the Southern European countries, very hard to get uh, treatment for, for adults with ADHD because it's still not accepted. And that's, that's really problems that we still uh, have to deal with. And to, to get it also in these countries and in all countries, an accepted diagnosis and an accepted treatment. Is there a difference between the countries like a, when it comes to assessment tools or anything that's more effective on being able to diagnose ADHD in someone? And also, is there a varying factors when it comes to maybe some ADHD types? Like, I don't know how many people experience hyperactivity. I thought that was always the most prevalent out of them all. I thought you had to have the 
hyperactivity aspect to it. And I realized, no, you don't have to have the hyperactivity and it's probably not as frequent as I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. In adults, it's mostly the inattention more than it is the hyperactivity. Um, I don't think there's, there's stark differences between countries in, in how ADHD presents itself. Uh, there's also not uh, huge differences in how it is diagnosed, luckily, because there is a lot of uh, um, a lot of effort is being put into having validated skills that are internationally available and validated interviews that are internationally available. So that I think we're we're doing quite well, especially in the ADHD field. ADHD, if what in uh, if it comes to it, is not so hard to diagnose. I hear from the clinicians because it's relatively easy to assess. You have two domains, uh, uh, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattention. Whereas uh, things like schizophrenia, like depression, they are even more variable than ADHD is and, and harder to, to find in a person. Is, uh, I, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned before about medications. Um, I mean, are you open to the idea of using other forms of medications besides just the one that was Adderall or something of that pharmacological sort? Like, obviously, people might have a different experience. I'm not saying giving asking for any recommendation advice. But when I was talking to Steve on my show, he had mentioned, no, take the Adderall. The Adderall works. I'm like, man, I'm 25 years old. I've never taken it before. I feel like I want to try and use it to my advantage. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And I was, it was, I get it. It's a controversial subject about the medication aspect to it. But to me, I'm just looking at like, I don't know, varying people's opinions on it. I mean, does it hinder anything with our brains as well too? I'm not against it at all. I'm just saying, I'm looking at like, I think everything in this case, if someone wants to take something, they should be able to take something. I'm, I'm again, I'm not a clinician. So I'm my, my expertise and, and also the meaningfulness of what I'm saying is is limited here. But I think that uh, people should try what works for them. And especially with ADHD, many of the medications work very acutely. And there are many people who take the ADHD medication when they need it. And I think that's fine. If it is a model that works for you, that's fine. Um, and And yeah, there are different types of medication. If one doesn't work for you, then try a different one. Now you meant if now, it is not Medicare, there are not enough people who don't like to to themselves when they are medicated. Uh, so there may be other ways for them um, to to work with their ADHD. You mentioned with um seniors and ADHD. I mean that end of life when it comes to when you get towards the end there when you're when you're a senior. Um, I'm just curious. Is that like obviously there's significant drop-offs of certain functions and certain things of that sort i mean does it get higher harder to treat is it anything with adhd that you can obviously point out and be like there's this that's still prevalent there's this that's not there's this and there's there's i would feel like at, towards the end it starts weaning off a little bit some of the adhd they probably don't have the hyperactivity or if you do you're just sitting and watching tv and flipping through the channels constantly but i i don't know if there's obviously distinct markers you can tell when when it comes to a senior or if the research is even there yet that's a good point. Um, that is an area where there's a still there's few experts and and relatively little knowledge yet. And what I hear is that it um, the older a person gets, the the more difficult it is to distinguish ADHD from, for example, a starting uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so um, 
and there I think we will have to uh to find ways to educate people um clinicians in in what they should do and what they shouldn't there's a lot of unclarity and un, um and feeling of of not being an expert when it comes to to elderly with adhd that's okay. all i can say about that one now, the alzheimer's one scares me because my grandma had alzheimer's that's how she went. So, I mean, when you're looking at like genetic factors of like, if my grandma might've had ADHD, I would like to know if that's going to be something that's going to be prevalent in my lifetime. Hopefully not. Um, but my memory is not good as it is. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I have but, to... uh, but as for, for, uh, for uh, Alzheimer's disease, there's a lot of things that you can do right? to, to prevent it, uh, keep active. Uh, there's all these, well, things that, that uh, live, uh, uh, a healthy life, uh, don't overeat, uh, sleep enough, <laughs> uh, things like that. It is important, and it may be even more important important for people with ADHD to to adhere to that uh, to reduce the risk that they have. Yeah. No, I think with the research that you guys have done, especially if it's child, adult, all that, it's good for education, especially when it comes to ADHD, because then it can you can extend the long care when it comes to how it's going to affect them when they get to old age. I mean, extending your life. I looked it up. I mean, life expectancy says it's like 13 years shorter. I don't know that that's an exact science to prove that or if that's based on risk taking or whatever they want to say. But that's a scary thing when you read it. And it's like, so people with ADHD have a shorter life expectancy. And whether like it's some of the things we talked about earlier about cardiovascular or any of those types of sorts, it's still a scary thing to just read that. And when you have ADHD. Yeah, well, and and I think it becomes even scarier because many of the the reasons for people to have a lower lower life expectancy is because of accidents eh? and suicide. And the suicide that one I think is is the most scary one because it it may be preventable if we're better at diagnosing ADHD and treating uh, ADHD in in people. That's also a society issue as well. So there's a large factor of shame that comes in with ADHD. And when you have one of those very shameful and depression days, and the next day you might just take a nap and it might be better. But when you have one of those, it feels like this is it, like this is everything. And I've seen that. Like I know men already kind of have a higher percentage of like on the suicide thing, but then you get into the ADHD factors and it's like doubled that. And it's like, well, every emotion's doubled when you have ADHD. So I think that's going to be with the society thing. I think it has to evolve to a point to more comfortability and acceptance. But through your experience and career, I mean, well, you've, you've learned so much about ADHD, but w if you couldn't have looked up ADHD, if you couldn't have researched ADHD, if this wouldn't have been dropped in front of you, if you wouldn't have been paired with someone to look into this, where would you have gone? Hmm. Have you um, ever thought about that? That's like a tough question to ask because I'm asking you to dig back a little bit, but I think that's like really in interesting to me is like how people get involved into the ways that they get involved in the things. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I looked into many conditions uh, i've worked on on um spina bifida i've worked on dyslexia um, aortic aneurysms etc etc and and what really um caught my attention most were were the brain related things and and really i think adhd is special in that it is uh it it is something that is both 
a strength because people with ADHD are are often uh, great to be with. Uh, um, but on the other hand, people with ADHD also have a lot of problems with in 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 fitting in essentially. And so that is, I think, why I I stuck with this research most. Well, I really appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show about some of your work. And I know we covered a wide range of topics, which I tend to do sometimes, uh, but I appreciate uh, your time. Is there a place where people can find any of your links, any papers, any sites that you'd like to promote if you have a Twitter or anything like that? I have a Twitter. I'm not very active on it. Um, but yeah, if you look at my name in the literature, you will find a few of the few papers that and I'll, I'll link all those in the description. I actually got one last question for you, but do you know why ADHD and autism get brought up in sometimes the same conversation? I can edit this out if you want, but I just, I hear it too much. And then I looked it up on my phone and apparently it's on the spectrum, which I didn't know about for the longest time. And I just want to know if there's like a distinct, like you kind of gave me the head nod like that, like, yeah, kind of. So I'm curious, is there like a line? Is it like, it's not like a hundred percent like autism. It's something that might be a mix in between. Mm, not necessarily. So for a very long time, uh, ADHD and autism could not be diagnosed together. Um, uh, only in the, the last versions of the, the diagnostic uh, uh, interviews, you can, can um, diagnose ADHD and, and autism together. Um, it is something that occurs more than by chance together. So there is something that underlies that. What people have thought about is whether that is really a biological factor that binds the two or whether people with autism are attracted to people with ADHD. And it may be just through that, um, that, the, that, yeah, that their children uh, may have an increased risk of having both autism and ADHD. I think the 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 re or the 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 answer, the absolute answer to that is still open. Um, but there may be more than one reason actually why it comes up together. I had to ask that because I see so many different answers on it. So I was just me, I was like, I need to know if this there's any weight to this. Cause you look it up and it says you're on the spectrum, you get a little bit scared. Um <laughs> but look, I, I appreciate the time. I'm going to link all your links in the description. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for next episode.